You're listening to the Irish Times. It's Friday morning in the Irish Times and that means there's a full weekend of sport to talk about. I'm Maliki Clerken and this is the Irish Times Sports Podcast. I'm here with producer Pat Nugent. Uh, straight away, Pat, that's a pretty bad name. It is, yeah. That's the, the first problem that we need to address here right now. Uh, I think we should throw it out to the thousands of people that are obviously listening to this. Yes, Irish Times Sports Podcast is generic and bland. We had a fantastically witty and erudite title that the lawyer stepped in and nixed on us. Which we won't reveal just yet because, you know, we may decide to ignore the lawyers. You never know. Exactly, yeah, that's always an option. Uh, our plan is that we what we'd like to do is ask people to come up with a title that is, as we said, better than Irish Times Sports Podcast. And the winner will get a fantastic but yet-to-be-determined prize. There's no, it's, I would say it's yet to be determined, it's yet to be revealed. Yet to be revealed prize, yeah. But um, sports editor Maliki Logan assures us that he will uh, be producing something from his top drawer for this. I like that. Make it somebody else's problem other than ours. Exactly, yeah. Well, at least somebody with power. We have no power to do anything, so. No, we, we just will leave the problem on his desk and walk away. So how can people send us a name? They can contact us at sports at irishtimes.com or through Twitter. And, uh, and give us their wonderful suggestions. Twitter being, I am at Maliki Clerken, and you are? At Pat Nugent 7. Number 7? Yes. There you go. Well, on today's show, we will be covering a few different sports, GA, golf, rugby. The GA Hurling and Football Leagues are starting this weekend, so I'm going to have Sean Moran and Keith Duggan in tow to muddle our way through all that. We're going to have Gavin Comiskey and Jerry Thornley in to talk about the Six Nations a bit later on. And we'll see what else we talk about as the whole thing goes along. First of all, we have Sean and Keith here. Sean Moran, GAA correspondent. Thanks very much for coming in. No problem. And joining us from his palatial residence in the west of Ireland is our chief sports writer, Keith Duggan. Keith, thanks for taking the time. Hi, Ma. How's it going? Uh, Keith, I'll start with you. Dublin playing Kildare in Croke Park tomorrow night. Uh, Their drive for uh, five league titles in a row was beaten at the... Pipped at the post uh, last year. What uh, are you expecting from them tomorrow night? Um, I imagine normal service resumed. Um, not sure how much work Dublin have been putting in over the past while, but kind of feel like they're able just to uh, just to get by these early rounds of the league on them um, on just just quality and, and depth of talent and just just the ease at which they can uh, they can run up scores, particularly. Um, you know, uh, when when, um, when uh, weather and pitches aren't great. They tend to start strong, all right. I, I was looking back through their record. Of, since they've moved to Croke Park, uh, their early season matches have just, there's been no problem with them. And you, you, I mean, you used to kind of think that they're, you might get at them a bit early in the year, but it's not really the case with them anymore. They just, last five years, they've either won or drawn their opening game under Gavin. Gavin has never lost his, his opening league game uh, at home, it's it's they tend to hit, hit normal service fairly sharpish at the start of the year. They do, they do. I imagine they'd resent um, giving up um, giving up a, a, a win in Crow Park in the first game of the season. Now I expect that they'll they'll win that. I I do think over the league that maybe they might be slightly vulnerable somewhere at some point on the road. Um, I remember last year actually in, in, in Donegal they they came. Um, Perilously close to to uh, to losing that record, a really really filthy night in in Bally Buffet. But um, you know, 
they, they may get caught at some point in the in, what do in you the league think Sean they're um they're so formidable at this time of the year. Well, I mean, they're so formidable at any time of the year, but they seem to just have their ducks in the row far more naturally than a lot of teams. Well, well actually, I, th- I think last year marked a, a slight change in emphasis for, for Jim Gavin and, and Dublin. Um, I think the decision was made uh, that they should maybe target the, the league to a slightly lesser extent uh, than they had in, in previous years. And I think there was a concern that to be going at a reasonably good clip all through the year had consequences at the end of the championship uh, in kind of reduced performance levels. What I think happened last year, and it was interesting to watch it unfold, was that although they were going out, they hadn't, they were weren't fully prepped as you know, you know, as compared maybe with other years because they had adjusted the holiday as they have done again this mm-hmm. year. So it'd be be later, they'd be coming back later, their preparations would run later but what they did show last year was a, a, an extraordinary resolve not to lose matches uh, I mean the, 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 uh, they were unbeaten we were all following this unbeaten run a lot of the, those matches in the league were draws last year some of them kind of quarried out in the last minute and, mm. uh, and all sorts of things like that it was exciting to watch but they even at the very end of it when it, when it came to an end in the final against Kerry they still chased it frenetically at the end and, and, and nearly pulled it back but I think the feeling was that they should throttle back a bit uh, in the earlier part of the year so they'd be better able now it didn't look necessarily to have a, a huge payoff in the in the championship in the sense that they they progressed through and then they tussled mightily with Mayo in the end as usual but I think what that that's what we're going to see again this year you know that there's going to be um a getting up to speed period and you know it will be teams will know that and be able to uh, maybe uh, exploit that at, at certain stages I mean you know like last last year uh, Tyrone very unlucky not to not to beat them in Indeed. the in the league so I think that's I think Dublin will, will will come out very competitive but not as as fully you know prepped as uh, as they might have been in previous years in the league I guess the question as well Keith is how prepped is everybody going to be it's it's such a weird year this year uh, you know the the everybody's starting a week earlier you know we're going out it's going to be the last weekend of January when we're out uh, covering games the league's going to be over sooner the Super 8 looms for the for the sort of the top I guess 12 13 teams are aiming, aiming themselves at the at the Super 8 later in the year the league is going to take quite a bit of settling down yeah it probably will but I have a feeling that maybe all of this has been slightly um, sort of overstated uh at the end of the day, it's going to be a bunch of teams playing games week after week, which is what they want to do. Um, some teams are going to place more emphasis in the league than others. Uh, there will probably be a couple of a couple of strange results in the first three four weeks, but you know, I'm, I think it'll find its own momentum and rhythm fairly soon. And I think that managers and squads will adapt to that. And um, I, I, I imagine find it quite 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 enjoyable. The big the big challenge is going to be that that weird break in April. Um, how they how to deal with that remains to be seen. Yeah, it's right. It, it's funny though that especially whatever about the sort of the top end of, of Division One and and whoever gets to the final and that sort of stuff. The kind of in between, you know, the bottom end of Division One and the top end of Division Two. You, 
you wonder what county's motivations are. I, you know, with teams like Roscommon in recent years, Donegal, Monaghan, put an awful lot into staying in Division 1, like going hell for leather, and it cost them later in the year. I just wonder, is there going to be a, a shift there? Will they sort of think better of it, or can they think better of it? It depends on how important they believe uh, getting these Division 1 games are. I mean, obviously, Roscommon is a good example. Two seasons ago, they were really, if you remember, playing really sparkling football in, in March and April. Uh, got to the semi-finals, and then the, the championship didn't go well for them. Uh, last year, uh, quite the opposite. They just they did really well, won the kind of championship. So, I mean, I don't know if Kevin McStay and Lee McHale are going to um, really, really prioritize getting straight back up into Division One, or whether they'll be content just to take... Uh, the games as they find them in uh, in in um, in the lower tier. And uh, the same, if we move it on a little bit, Sean, the same kind of goes in hurling, or even even more so. You know, uh, the schedule in, in hurling is even more compacted, and what's coming up in the summer is even more intense in hurling. So you know, you sit, you're sitting here at the end of January, not really knowing what's coming, who's going to, how teams are going to approach it. I think that's definitely true. I think, as Keith said, I'm, I'm not sure we're going to notice a huge difference in the league in football this year mm. because, uh, you know, it, it's much the same schedule of, of matches. Uh, hurling is is different, though, because uh, it, it's, a, it's a more uh, constricted schedule for a start and then the changes in championship kick in at the beginning of the championship, uh, not like in the football where it's at the, at, at the far end. Just on a... A slightly uh, peripheral point in relation to this. I think what's been interesting in January has been the shock to the, uh, I suppose, without being uh, too uh, accusatorial about it, the kind of a hubris set in, uh, I felt, in recent years that, you know, with improved pitch technology and and everything, (laughs) we had the old uh, postponements curse beaten yeah. and uh, you know the weather we defied the elements whereas really all that happened was we had a few mild winters we would have, well more importantly dry <laughs> yeah, uh, January yeah. is now this has been torrential in, in recent times but I think we, we've seen um, you know with a very compact calendar how quickly it could get into crisis I mean there's, there's there, there are two breaks in the football league uh, one of which is already now filled up with uh, secondary provincial competition yeah. finals uh, in the hurling there's only one uh, break uh, so that's only one opportunity to catch up if there's postponements I'd say there'll be a lot of crossed fingers just looking at the skies around the, the, mm. the country because the way things are set up there, there isn't infinite tolerance for resetting matches but uh, I'd say it's a reasonable prediction we might have a Wednesday night league match somewhere along yeah the it, it, they're going to have to find find the dates but on your original point the, the, the overarching point definitely true the hurling is going to be very interesting to see because all the counties in terms of championship are going into virtually a similar league structure uh, yeah. from, from May and uh, so I, I I would feel, and I'm you know like everyone else, I'm guessing, but, it, but you would feel that the importance, the priority has to be establishing a rhythm of performance that you you know that you, you and that in a way it's 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 the antithesis of the old traditions of championship, which is these enormous lengthy wind-ups to exactly, one one yeah. big collision. Mm. This is going to have to be tempo now, 
judging yourself right. You, you, you can't really risk players with injuries and, uh, you know, suspensions uh, can have a, you know, a, a big impact uh, as this unfolds. But I think it's going to be very, very interesting to see see how, how, how it goes from, from that point of view. The, there's interesting games all around the league. I guess the somewhat most eye-catching one maybe Cork Kilkenny uh, tomorrow night in uh, down in Parky Cueve that's the big starter yeah um, and it's it's interesting because if you you look back I mean Cork um, have developed a, a pattern in, in in recent years of being feisty in matches against uh, Kilkenny but not actually winning them like looking like that they're putting in a big performance. They're going yeah. to take Kilkenny's scalp and then getting clipped at the at the end. It's actually six years since they they beat them in the in, in the league, um, and uh, that was a that, that was a match that was a little bit overshadowed then by the league final that that followed, where Kilkenny oh, won FML by Live, double yeah. digits. Yeah, yeah. so uh, but it, it's it's such a time of change for for, for both counties. I mean, for the for, for the first time, you know, Brian Cody has to. Has to rebuild, you know, to to an extent that he's never really had to do before, and you could see that in the number of players that were being used uh, during the Welsh Cup in in January. Mm. Um, but the one thing, and I remember noticing this about Kilkenny last year, that when Tip were were lording it in the in the early weeks of the of of, of the league, and Kilkenny went to Thurles, and it looked like, you know, Tip had them well. We're going to put them. Uh, Back in their place, they really resisted, and they, they, it was a terrific match. Ended in a ended in a draw. They'd be, you know, they will be very fired up. They'd be very competitive, and, and Cork are one of those target counties for Kilkenny. They tend not to want to uh, let them lay down markers or otherwise yeah. when it comes to it. And Cork, on the other hand, only new management and with uh, a batch of new players coming through. I mean, there, there's there, there's actually. Uh, uh, I was looking back at the teams from 2012 when Cork last last won, and uh, the 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 only one playing tomorrow would be Owen Cadigan, who's only just back who's only in. just yeah, re- yeah. rejoined the panel. Now Patrick Organ is suspended, sure. but otherwise he'd, he'd be around. Uh, Kenny actually have more players for, 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 <laughs> from, from back then, so it is going to be fascinating because it, it, it it's not just that you you know you, you're laying down markers in the in the longer term, but because and this is the history of of Division One A in, in in recent years, it is so competitive that the point are so important mm. that you end up under pressure. You lose your first match almost and you end up under pressure. Uh, so for, for the team that, that, that loses tomorrow night, th- there's going to be an easy uh, story to construct around, oh, you know, Kilkenny lose, well, you know, they're in trouble, they have to rebuild, the, the, mm. don't have the, the players of Cork lose, you know, the, the new management is now challenged and all the rest. So it will be fascinating to see how that, how that turns out. Yeah, I think it's just going to be such a fascinating league because for... For once, you know, uh, it's nearly okay for managers to kind of go, the league is the league, and, you know, there's ready-made excuses there for, you know, what's coming up in the summer, lads. We can't we can't be flogging these lads. I can't be throwing out my best team all the time. But, of course, that's only so, that only lasts so long until you lose two matches back-to-back and the local press yeah. goes mad and the crowd are raging and all this sort of stuff. Yeah, uh, and uh, another uh, issue that has arisen um, over the last month or so is just the status of uh, the third-level competitions, Fitzgibbon Cup in, yeah. in particular, and the, the strains on players. Um, you know, the county managers don't want to uh, let them out of their sight. Um, the college managers don't have their best players for m- most training sessions, some challenge matches. So... 
uh, it's interesting that Derek McGrath, who's one of the, who's one of the managers with a kind of a strong Fitzgibbon pedigree, suggesting there during the week that you know that the, 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 the Fitzgibbon players should just college players should be college only for the for, for the month yeah. of the Fitzgibbon yeah. I, uh, I don't like his chances there uh, Keith I'll uh, just wrap this up with you um, you a big interview with uh, Mickey Hart in the paper tomorrow um, you went to meet him during the week up in uh, Ballygawley isn't that, isn't that where he lives? Ballygawley that's right yeah yeah I met him in, 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 in Kelly's in there um, just on the Ah, good old Kelly's just down from Garbahi there. I know it very well, yeah. I've had many of the fry in it. Um, In good form, Mickey, was he? He's in very good form, yeah. He's looking forward to the season. Um, I suppose a big intrigue with Tyrone and and, and Mickey Hard is whether uh, he's going to bow to uh, popular demand and abandon this system that he spent the last three or four years carefully cultivating. And uh, my... uh, my bet would be no. Yeah. No. <laughs> well, you you don't think you don't think Mickey will uh, just flow with what public opinion is screaming for? Yeah, he won't, no, he won't surf that way. So I don't think no, no. Um, yeah, like it, 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 it's interesting. Tyrone, they're, they're, they're going for three in a row in Ulster. Um, I expect they'll they'll perform fairly well in the league. Um, they're down in Tume on Sunday, but I imagine. They already have half an eye on, on the following Sunday when when Dublin come to come to Oma, um, so they're they're going to be they're going to be interesting to, uh, to 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 watch over the course of the league. Beyond him as a as a football manager, he's he's such a he's such a fascinating person in Irish public life. I guess now you know he's been around in the consciousness for fifteen years. It was two thousand and three he took over and like. So much has happened, and he goes into an awful lot of that, of course, in the course of your interview. He does, he does. I mean, he 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 spoke very, uh, very, very candidly um, just about, I suppose, um, the tragedy that has happened uh, his family in 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 recent years, and how he sort of managed to persevere and 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 stay passionate um, uh, about football throughout that period. Um, and he spoke also then just about the task of rebuilding um, that's our own team post sort of 2010 in, in the manner that he has done. Um, and yeah, he, he is. He's, he's, he's obviously a, a huge figure in, in, in Gaelic football. Um, and he sort of just, you know, he just, he minds his business, just goes about his, go, goes about running the team and, then Tyrone crop up in, in, in ultra finals and all Ireland semifinals and he kinda of becomes a sort of a you know, a very central figure again. But mm. he's very far removed in his day to day life from, you know, the uh the the, the white noise of, of, of Gaelic games coverage, I think, you know. Yeah. And yet I what I always find fascinating about him or or I don't know, from our point of view, dealing with him, um you can ask Mickey anything. Anything, yeah. He's very I think he's a very private person in a lot of ways, but he's also a very good communicator. And he's um, he's outspoken. You know, he 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 gives his opinion. He doesn't really care whether that opinion is in tune with uh, with, with with the popular opinion or not. You know, and I think that's why he. Uh, I think part of him kind of almost. I don't know if he enjoys, but he's certainly. I think he's kind of maybe privately scornful of the way that um. Uh, the system that Tyrone have developed has been uh, has been criticised. Um, you know, and probably, I think it is a bit it's it's a bit 
simple to just sort of bluntly state that the old defensive blanket system is gone, that it's defunct now, um, simply because Tyrone were decimated in that in, in that one game by uh, by Dublin. And he's very interested on that. He's very strong on, on why he feels that happened. And, you know, he just thinks they made a mistake early on and they, they just never really recovered from it. Well, people can read it in uh, Saturday's Irish Times. It's a terrific interview. Uh, lads, thanks a million for coming in, uh, Keith and Sean, and we'll talk to you as the podcast goes on. Thanks, Malachi. Thanks, Mal. In the Irish Times weekend, Mickey Hart speaks candidly to Keith Duggan about media conflicts, his unwavering love of football and the dark days that followed his daughter's murder. In a special four-page pullout, Maliki Clerken and Sean Moran gear up for the Allianz Football and Hurling Leagues and our fantasy rugby tournament returns with up to €6,000 in prizes. The Irish Times weekend, your weekends in good hands. Terms and conditions apply. Joined now by producer Pat Nugent. Pat, obviously all you're going to be watching for the weekend is uh, hurling, but what are the rest of us going to be watching? Well, there's some good golf tournaments on this weekend. Rory McIlroy is continuing his return from the five-month sabbatical that he took in the Dubai Desert Classic. But far more interesting is the return of the 647th ranked golfer <laughs> in the world at the Farmers Insurance Open in Torrey Pines. Tiger's back. He's uh, had his spinal fusion surgery that he had last April. And for the first time, he says that he's actually playing uh, pain-free. We don't know at the moment if it's going to make him competitive, but he managed to shoot par in his first round last night. Are you, are you happy to see him back? I Yeah, I, I've, I golf misses Tiger always. Um, I, I watched him for a while last night. Um, what I found interesting was that uh, he was able to give it everything off the tee. He hit three or four brilliant drives, like long, straight, and full-bodied ones, um, which suggests that there's no real physical problem there. And if there's no real physical problem there, then the golf will come. Um, but I'll, he hit some really, really ropey iron shots. He, he ended up having hit a lot of putts from sort of 40 feet, 35 feet, um, and which meant that he ended up missing a couple of four-footers and five-footers. So that was all sort of sloppy stuff. But... Um, yeah, if he's able to throw himself into, into shots and still be fine the next day... Then, you know, then there's hope there for him. You know, as you say, an awful lot of golfers have passed him or at least he's passed them on the way down. But um, he has a, a talent that most of them just don't have. He had an alarming quote, I thought, last week when he was talking about how he's now not in pain. And he said, I'm not flinching. It doesn't hurt as I take the club back. It doesn't hurt right before impact. It doesn't hurt after impact. It doesn't hurt when I walk. And when you think that he was carrying around that for so long mm -hmm. with him, I mean, Tiger's basically been playing, he's been spending more time not playing golf than playing golf over the last three years, essentially. And for him to actually be able to take a full swing is amazing. He's actually ditched having any swing coach at the moment on the grounds that nobody understands how to swing with fused vertebrae better than I do. So I don't want a swing coach. Yeah, and like it's literally either this week last year or next week last year that he had to retire um, from playing out in the Middle East. Um, midway through his second round or first round just in too much pain just couldn't take it just couldn't as exactly as he's saying there you know it was sore before impact sore after impact so he went away spent a year rebuilding himself it's going to be look it's funny watching the coverage last night genuinely it's where there was nobody else there there was there was nobody else had every shot covered um, and you know 
he's ranked tied 83rd I think after uh, after his level power round but it just shows what people are interested in you know Tony Finau the Hawaiian golfer ended up top of the leaderboard but sure he could have been playing naked and nobody would have seen him you know it was it's all Tiger all the time that won't be the way of it forever it won't be the way of it like say when he's playing in the Masters or something like that like you know the top of the field will still get more as as much coverage or more but for this tournament, I know as a golf fan, all I wanted to see last night was pretty much every shot the Tiger hit. And you did. And it's probably that emphasis doesn't help the fact that I don't think that he looks like he's having much fun, really. He, he seemed to enjoy it last night, though. Did you think? Ah, uh, yeah, I thought so. I, he was smiling more than usual, and he was, yeah, he was he was lighter in himself, and he kind of was a wee bit sort of oh shucks bashful afterwards as well, which you never saw from him before. Yeah, well, he he was doing an awful lot of angry swinging after um, after dodgy shots or shots that he perceived as dodgy as well. I mean, the rest of us would be delighted with them. Well, I don't know, Pat. I've I've seen you play golf, a few angry swings after some of your shots as well. Yeah. Regardless, though, with Tiger, I think that like the U.S. Open this year um, will be the tenth anniversary of the last time that he won a major, and I think most people would like him not to become like some kind of a heritage act where he's it's like going to see the wrong members of Pink Floyd. Yeah. That he'd, <laughs> yeah. You'd just like to see him at the point where he's capable of some of the old flashes of brilliance. Big time, yeah. And, you know, there's great players around. If he's fit to be in the mix with them, it's all the more fascinating. Um, so that's the golf for the weekend. There's no real rugby this weekend to, to speak of, but we're here, we're eight days out from the Six Nations. So we have plenty to talk about. We have uh, Jerry Thornley and Gavin Kominsky in studio to talk about it. Thanks for coming in, lads. Cheers, good morning. Uh, Jerry, you were in London on Wednesday for the, the, I guess what they call the launch of this. It's it's the phoniest of phony wars, really, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's, um, there they are, all in their pristine gear and posing for photographs and Joe Smith's trying to pass favouritism onto England and Eddie Jones trying to pass favouritism onto Ireland and Meanwhile, Warren Gatlin comes out and says, we're the favourites, we'll win the tournament. And they finished fifth last year. So Eddie Jones, I think, gets it best. He just has a laugh, has a mm. giggle. Um, declares things like, I'm not Donald Trump, I can't put up a wall between me and the club, so I just have to take what I get and stuff. And playing the poor mouth with all the injuries and they've got no chance. And he was entertaining. He saved the day, really, in many respects. He was a bit of fun. Look, I, I hate the day. I'd love to avoid it at all costs, but actually it does, set, it does get you in the mood for the Six Nations. I does anybody like it? On the journalistic side of things, or, no. Or on the far no. side, either. The, I, the no, players listen, or coaches even like Oh, I'd say Joe Schmidt absolutely loves the idea of leaving <laughs> southern Spain in a training camp to come to windy, secret, wet, dank... Secret, secret training camp. Secret training camp. <laughs> Unlike Eddie Jones, who's having a public training camp. Half the English media remained in Portugal, whereas but the, the other half actually were at the Six Nations launch. Um, but I'd say, yeah, I'd say Rory Best himself really loved the idea of leaving Spain to come into... It was proper Six Nations weather, too. There wasn't a blue patch in the sky. It was wet, miserable, windy. Yeah. Where are where is everybody? Where are all the teams? Um, England are reigning back-to-back champions. Uh, they've won 22 of their last 23 matches, 21 out of 22 under Eddie Jones. Um, they're the standard bearers. They're the team to topple off, despite what he says. They're the even money favourites. And, of course, they've got Ireland at home on St. Patrick's Day in the grand finale to the tournament, which I'm sure the organisers would love if the title was on the line. And I'm sure Eddie Jones and Joe Schmidt would love it too. Um, Ireland are six to four second favourites on the basis of seven wins in a row and in good place, looking after players well, low injury profile compared to others. Um, 
with an excellent coach and a, you know, settled combinations, world class players in key positions, notably at half back, Conor Murray and Johnny Sexton, you wouldn't swap them for any other half back partnership around. They're the Lions half backs. And um, then you've got Scotland, who are just an altogether different force in the last couple of years, particularly you see the difference Stuart Hogg makes when he comes back into the Glasgow team. They're really dangerous. They could topple anybody. As they proved last year when they toppled Ireland, they could topple England in round two. Um, Wales finished fifth last year, but that's more an indication of the strength and depth of the, and the competitiveness of this tournament like never before. Um, they've got a very high injury profile, but Warren Gatland is bullish and with good reason. And then you've got the French, who are going to meet first up, which is probably the most dangerous time to meet them because you don't know what they could be. Um, we can talk about France at length. They're an interesting case study. Always have been, always will be. And then you've He's got... kids, Jerry, hasn't he? He has picked a very, very callow squad, Gavin. It's extraordinary. Like, Jack Brunel has come in and replaced Guinoves. Guinoves is the first French coach to be sacked after a run of seven winless games, culminating mm-hmm. in a draw at home to Japan. And Jacques Brunel has come in uh, over at the turn of the year with a hastily, hastily assembled um, backroom team. And they picked a squad, including now seven debutants. They have got, um, Ireland have got seven players with 50 plus caps, eight players in their 30s. France have won the captain, Guillaume Guirado. Um, it's quite, there's serious talk about Mathieu Jalabert, this 19 year old wonder kid at Bordeaux, and he's a sensational talent is going to start, going to make his debut next Saturday week in Paris. Who had a bad game for Toulon. Their 21-year-old out half is their second, Mm. or probably their first option, but I think he didn't look too good. No. They had to throw on Trinduk, didn't they, to sort out. Jalabert, you can find him on YouTube. Um, he's uh, he is but he's, he's a child yeah <laughs> you know what I mean he made his but isn't it funny that YouTube is nearly where you have to go to find him because yeah. right? there's just not, not you get a glimpse of him on the European Challenge Cup highlights yeah. package in BT there was a game against Newcastle he played a half he got a ball off a line out inside his own 10 metre and just sliced through the entire Newcastle back line went one way went the other had support runners on his outside and slipped a pass inside to a scrum half and went in then he got another ball off the top of the line out steamed onto it cleaned through He's got a Jordan Larmer-like ability to step off either foot at full tilt and uh, left the full-back for dead. Scored from halfway without being touched. Like any winner in the world would have been happy with that try. He wouldn't re- seeing his defensive stuff, though. Oh, of course. It's, this is his best bits. Mm. French rugby is a mess. Utter mess. It's yeah. an, it, and the whole thing is, you're dead right, you don't know what's going to happen on day one against France and Paris. But if we don't break the handicap and beat them comfortably... It's a really, like Schmidt would be disgusted with himself. So would this Irish team. They're teed up to go and just do them in Paris. And it's because, like, if you go through it, like Brunel, okay, has come in after he, a failed campaign as Italy coach for five years. He, did, he took, there was a few sparks, sparks and then they went downhill. Uh, he, we all know he's Laporte's crony because he was the forwards coach in 03 and 07 and look, they were failed campaigns essentially. So, and then he went in and he was Bordeaux coach. So he knows he did all win, He did win a top 14 title with Perpignan in 2009. Okay, fair enough. But um, is he the best, is he the man to drive no, from, France forward? Like if you go to Le They Queen, would have liked Colazzo from La Rochelle who's the top coach now around or Fabien Galtier mm-hmm. from Toulon or... Frank Azim, Azima, Azima from Claremont, but none of them would touch it. I was just are available. Say, those guys have no interest in it. Well, they're under contract, so they can't be wheeled but out. But also, the, the clubs season. are at war with Laporte because he's trying to bring in five. Ideally, he wants seven, but five uh, foreigners allowed in 23s. And he said it's going to happen by 2020. Go to the Lequeep website. There's a section called La Faire Laporte. On Tuesday, Marcuses, exact same time the media were walking in, was raided. This is the French headquarters. It's like Lansdowne Row being raided by the cops. As was his private residence. As was Mohamed Altrad, who is the owner of Montpellier. This whole thing is going. 
it looks like the clubs are are completely out to get him. Like the timing of the cops landing into Marcuse's, as the entire sports media was there. <laughs> That's no coincidence. Um, we talk about. Uh, we should probably explain to people what this is about. Go for it. <laughs> it's very complicated. No, I thought you were going to. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, have at it. That was a lovely have, pass. Have at it. That's called a skip pass. The, the best way is stick. You, you go and just like trying through it. It, it. it goes back to Montpellier and it goes back to a fine that, of interest. that suddenly disappeared. And like how Laporte got this, got the World Cup over the line in the in the midst of all this, I don't know. Quite extraordinary. But. Um, they are like we talk about it, us having problems. Their Bastro just got done for a homophobic slur, and he got suspended. They just lost Morgan, Morgan Parr. That's to key because with the two young out halves, the other scrum halves are Maxi Mashnow, who's experienced enough, but he's very, regarded as quite introverted and shy. Parra is very charismatic, out in the cold for two years under Guinobes. He's got sixty six caps. He's playing really well for Claremont this season. He was the man that was going to guide whichever young out half it was. There, he was the man who was going to lead, effectively lead the team during the week. He was kind of the tactical master plan, working with the coach and so forth he was seen as key so he's a huge loss for them so he liked us losing Conor Murray wouldn't he yeah so let's talk about us you know it's funny you there say Gav you know we talk about we have troubles we, we really don't you know com- com- certainly compared to, to France we're we're in a pleasingly boring state like it's funny I was kind of looking at the, the biggest thing that came out of during the week there was the Simon Zebo stuff and you know like looking in from the outside yeah look everybody loves Simon Zebo but Simon Zebo was wasn't going to play in the World Cup so uh, you know are we in danger of making him into a kind of a Wes Hoolahan figure, you know, that but, that everybody's sort of crying tears for Simon Zebo, who wasn't going to be playing this, next year anyway? But, well, this could have gone away if Joe hadn't said, Joe Schmidt hadn't said what he said. Mm. And this is real, um, this doublespeak comes from the great Ireland coach, our great leader and the best coach Ireland's ever had and no doubt about it. But when he turns around, Zebo's playing some sensation rugby, some crazy rugby, because he feels like the shackles are off and he's just a monster <laughs> man now and he's going to light up the top 14 next season and it was the message was sent if you signed a two year deal in a foreign club you're going to lose three years of international exposure because we're going to drop you straight away so he's been made an example of but Schmidt coming out when he was asked about his form goes by his own standards he didn't have a great day in Paris a few weeks ago and yet like a week after that last weekend he was sensational against Cast. Johan van Graan described it as his best performance in the time he's been with Munster he was incredible there's tit for tat going on here look we follow we read between the lines Zebo gave an interview didn't he to Lequipe he gave, he, he gave an interview to Lequipe when he turned around he goes with Munster I'm free to try things play the moves I see I don't have any shackles it was straight at Schmidt and he turned around and he goes we've had this chat face to face I couldn't play in such rigid structures I can't play like that is that fair enough to, for Joe to have a go then after but that this is the thing He doesn't. what kind of a go is he having you know what I mean he goes oh he's still in the mix and all this just give it straight like we can smell the bullshit a mile away you know what I mean and it's constant so what do you think's going on there Jerry? why um I don't know for sure um but definitely you've always got the impression that Simon Zebo didn't quite fit that he wasn't feeling the love in that setup um Joe Schmidt and Andy Farrell clearly do have issues about some aspects of his game um and then when he made the decision to decamp to Racing Metro I understand why he did it even though he's going to miss out in the World Cup cycle, because after the next World Cup, Mal, every player in the Southern Hemisphere over the age of 29 is going to be available for Sirius Wonga in the top 14. And if the number of foreigners is reduced, that puts a higher premium on them. So Zebo's deal now that he's getting from Racing, which I hear is very, very good, was probably not going to happen two years further down the road. So it made sense for Simon Zebo to go, he's always had a hankering to play in the top 14. I did an interview with him the day that... They were the day before they were playing Racing in Paris that Saturday. And that week I interviewed him and typical Simon, he was very honest. And he explained why he wanted to do this. He grew up with the French father 
who generally only spoke French when he was giving out to the kids or when he was cooking, but it was always there. He had top 14 posters on his, on his, on his wall. You know, his boyhood heroes were Toulouse players um, um, and also somebody like Christophe Dominici. He, as a kid, always tried to play like a French player. Yeah. So he's always had this hankering to go. So I understand why he went. But Jerry, he's I, 27 and wasn't offered a national contract. Yeah, but he was, wasn't offered a national contract at 25 or 23 either. You know do you what I mean? Was, there, do you think he should have been offered a national contract at the peak of his powers now? I, I tell you what, Gavin, to be honest, I don't think that makes a huge amount of difference. Cash-wise, no. no. Okay. Because the contract for Munster is so good. Mm. He's such a commodity there for them. There was sponsorship there as well. Sponsorship there as well. Right. And actually, I've spoken to him about this. There's no big deal in a national contract or a provincial contract for somebody like Simon Zebo. Um, you could argue that maybe you could have been. I think he would have gone anyway. Yeah. And also. Stuart Lancaster's coach in two years' time, he might be back, you know. Mm, it's not beyond the realms of Not beyond the realms. And, and I under, also understand why he wasn't picked in the November series and why he wasn't picked in the Six Nations. It does, first and foremost, it's about protecting the provinces and making sure they're competitive in Europe. And look at them, they are. Apart from Ulster, all the other three made the quarterfinals of the respective European competitions and have home ties. Yeah. It's a remarkable effort when you think what the problems were two years ago. And the knock-on as well as that is we're going into a Six Nations with very few injuries mm-hmm. compared to England. Absolutely. Yeah. That One last thing on Simon Zebo. That being said, I don't think Joe should have come out and said what he said the other day. Um, to say how he's great value around the camp, he's always yeah. smiling off and laughing. It almost came across as slightly patronising. I thought that. Whatever, and, you know, we're not the only people who thought you know, that. A lot of people thought that. petty as well. Yeah, but whatever about dissing his form, you know, that can be a judgement call and you can believe it or you can He might have meant it as a compliment, but yeah. it didn't come across the, as a compliment. Uh, he's great around the place mm. and he's always charming yeah. and all that. I thought that was a, that was a wee bit childish now, yeah. I have to say. I, I thought that. Mm. It's funny, you said we don't have injury problems. If you actually look at our list of problems, everyone's got injuries now. Of course, I'm doing a bit of research on it as how bad these all are. Are. Uh, we've got 13 if you actually go mm. by people who've been capped in the last two years England have people eight. who would play though Gavin. who would play Gavin okay. Gary Ringrose would play Ringrose Sean O'Brien Kilcoyne was on the bench ahead of McGrath in November um, Jamie Heaslip Reese Ruddock was right in there captain Ireland in the summer mm. bench probably mm. uh, James Tracy was ahead of Sean Cronin and Schmidt's eyes and Niall Scannell was ahead of Sean Cronin and Schmidt's eyes um, the rest, Tyler Blenholm, if he had been playing consistently, might have come into the mix. You know what I mean? Might yeah. have been... Out w- w- of push. Yeah, out of push, fine. But interestingly enough, it was put to Conor O'Shea um, on during the week that, uh, oh, you've a real chance, Eddie, Oso- Eddie Jones, 18 injured players and all that. And Conor O'Shea goes, hang on a second here. I'm going to pick the England team for you. And he went through it. Vunapola, Hartley, Dan Cole, Courtney Laws, Launchbury, Itoje and Robshaw, who actually might be injured. Sam Simmons, who's the only new guy. And then the back line is the English backline, yeah. and he was like you tr- and then Ben Teo and Denny Saloma they're rugby league Kiwis he was like you're trying to tell me that that's not a, a grand slam with an English team <laughs> he also listed their They'll own be, injuries which are quite significant yeah his are Leonardo bad Sar- Sarto, they, they can't, they can't yeah. miss Campanaro no. and all that no. England will be fully stocked when we get to them in Twickenham on Paddy's Day you can bet that and as you say they're not badly stocked now no and they we'll, never will we'll, be we'll both yeah. be going for the grand slam I reckon Scotland and Wales uh, Scotland and Wales might have something to say about that Scotland yeah, and Wales are the jokers they're the jokers Very much in the so. pack you know you, you kind of look at them and sort of dismiss them offhand if, you, if you're not really looking that closely but as you say Jerry, on a given day both of them Mm. Both of them. You're, we're not going into either of those games going, this is sort of... Well, they both beat Ireland on. last year. Yeah. They're the reason why it wasn't a Grand Slam showdown between Ireland and England last year in the Aviva Stadium. It was Wales and Scotland beating Ireland. Yeah. And I don't... I, I don't ever... I'll never know, but I'm... I, I think that Ireland were maybe slightly complacent going into that opening game away to Scotland. They started so slowly. And then even then, they had, a, they, they had the winning of the game in their own hands and they had a go again. 
So they they, they lost it twice. Schmidt blamed the bus. Mm. He kept mentioning the bus. But it's funny when you mention that game. It, it's it always a reminder. It, it was always a reminder that game. And there's one of these games every few years that how the air can go out of the Six Nations mm. so quickly. Mm. Game like that, everybody mm. kind of going, yeah. I think they're a better fine, team with Ali Price at scrum yeah. half as well than Greg Ledlow. I think they're a better team there. I think you look at Hogg and Seymour, two Lions, in tandem with Finn Russell, who came into the Lions squad, one of the Geography Six, and the two tries they manufactured from their own line against Exeter. There are very few teams in Europe who can do that, and uh, they'll play with the same freedom uh, in the Six Nations as well. I'm just looking at there, because you can easily go, well, look what Leinster did to Glasgow, but there's a couple of little extra things that come in from their farm players that make that make Scotland a real proposition. That's going to be a cracking game. Mm. Um, but again, Ireland have the capabilities, as long as they don't lose Furlong, Murray, Sexton, to beat everybody. Their be- Ireland's best team is still better than England's best team. Yeah. It's just England's depth is phenomenal, for example. Uh, but w- um, Wales, for Where's example. Where's dangerous, Gavin? I, well, I know look, they have a look, lot of injuries. Look at Wales' injury list. It's the, extraordinary. The, the heart's been ripped out of their team, hasn't it? Like Reese webb gone, Warburton, Faletau. Gareth Davies is playing superb rugby with Scarlet. True. Superb Liam rugby. Liam Williams, John Davies, all your Lions guys. Like, yeah. it, it's, it's too much for them to... They're really Gatlin suffering. For saying what he said, they're the ones that have paid the price for the Lions. Yeah, and also for not having all their ba- players based at home. Like mm. Liam Williams... Mm. Wales wanted him to have an operation at the start of the season. Saracens, no, 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 wait, 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 we'll get it right. And now it looks as like if he's going to have the operation and miss the entire Six Nations. Mm. Like, that must be infuriating. Hence, Simon Zebo's not picked in Irish squads. Yeah, get your shop you know in order, mean? yeah. Get your shop in order, yeah. How do we think it's all going to go? I'm, uh, it's stupid to be making you uh, give predictions this far out, but uh, this is a stupid format, so we may as well do <clears> it. Uh, what do you think, Gavin? <laughs> yeah, well, I was asked to do this in a Q&A for our, sup- our Six Nations supplement and I said Ireland Grand Slam on the premise of what I just said. We're fully stocked when we get to Twickenham. I really think that every single game that we're going to play, a defeat before Twickenham would be a serious disappointment for the standards that the team has set. So, Championship will be on the line in Twickenham and Ireland to win a Grand Slam. Do you see it on the last day, Jerry? I, I, I know. I think the title will be on the line. Hand. I think the title will be on the line mm. somewhere or other. Yeah, someone's going I to wouldn't be somewhere. surprised if Scotland beat England in the Calcutta Cup at, at Murrayfield. I just wouldn't be surprised if that happened. I think England might be more vulnerable in, in the earlier rounds than they will be in the later rounds for the reasons Gavin highlighted. I agree with him that um, Ireland will be favourites in their first four matches. And the way the fixers have fallen, if they get that opening win in Paris, which I believe they will do, they then got three home matches in a row. Italy, and Italy are going to have a six-day turnaround after playing England. That's tough and Conor O'Shea mm. and the Italians. So you'd imagine that would be two from two. And then you've got a couple of weeks break into, is it the Scotland game? And then the Wales game, another couple of weeks. Both and at home. Both at home. So it's a question of then how they rock up to Twickenham uh, a week later. You know what I mean? The Six Nations always has a toll. This nonsense that the English clubs are trying to get, I wish somebody just tell them to go hang from the nearest tree of trying to compress the Six Nations into five or six weeks. It would, it, it, it doesn't even pay lip service to the notion of player welfare. Mm. And as both Warren Gatland and Joe Schmidt said during the week, it would have particularly harsher con- consequences on the Celtic nations as opposed to France and England because we don't have the strength and depth. The injury toll, Jerry, would be unbelievable. unbelievable. Like, World Rugby are trying to say that the injury toll hasn't risen since 2003 and that this is probably just a spike we're seeing at the moment. And as Stephen Jones said in the Sunday Times, God, it's some, it's some serious spike at yeah. the moment. In conclusion, I do think, though, that uh, if it comes down to it, I think England are entitled to be favourites. Ireland haven't won a championship in how long when they got France and England away. And uh, you would think that at Twickenham, at home in the final game, England will start that game favourites and would be entitled to be. 
Well, thanks a million lads for coming in. That's Jerry Thornley and Gavin Comiskey of our rugby staff. And that's about all we have for the pilot episode of the Irish Times Sports Podcast. Pat, I think we got away with it. I think we just about got away with it, yeah. We definitely could do it a better title still, but... So save us, people. Save us. Send us a better name. Send it to sports at irishtimes.com or hit me on Twitter at Maliki Clerken and Pat at... Pat Nugent 7, numeral 7. Number 7. So do that. Save us from ourselves and send us any feedback you think. Uh, This is a pilot episode. It can get better. It will get better. So tell us what to do. Thanks very much, everyone, and we'll see you again next Friday. In the Irish Times weekend... Derek Coakley Hutch is the 14th person to be killed in the Hutchkinahan feud. Conor Lally investigates the gang war where men die because of their surname. In the magazine, Ireland's top chefs discuss sexual harassment, bullying and burnout in the kitchen. And acclaimed director Paul Thomas Anderson on the privilege of directing Daniel Day-Lewis. The Irish Times Weekend. Your weekends in good hands.